Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Well, take your Bible and look at, uh, we're going to begin to look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Remember, remember is the title of my uh, sermon for this morning. Remember, well, tomorrow is the day that uh, we as a country will celebrate Memorial Day. Yeah, it's a great day. Uh, Faith reminded me yesterday, you know, pull that flag out and straighten it up and get it out there and and uh, she went off to work, and uh, I did that. I did it today, and uh, waved the flag. I, I grew up in a family like that. My father's graduate of military school, so beyond uh, my mind seeing him march around the house with John Philip Seuss's uh, marching music, he was always proud to hang the red, white, and blue, the flag, and to remember that. And uh, Armistice Day, and Memorial Day, and Veterans Day, and... VE Day and, and all those days, DE Day or D Day or whatever, they were, they were all big days. I, as a little kid, it's surprising I remember all that, that we, uh, we have received a great trust. We're not entitled to it. Most Americans feel like we deserve. We show up, we deserve it. I got news for you, it's easily lost. This experiment of human history where we have liberty to assemble without getting the king's permission or getting a permit, or ten of them, or whatever. It's easily lost. Never forget that. Look at history. Some of you know it better than others. It's easily lost, this thing called freedom. And we, we so remember those that gave the ultimate measure of sacrifice, devotion, you know, as Lincoln said, right? They died on battlefields. Men and some women. that we might enjoy the freedom I thank God for them. I, I really do. What a, what a great trust that we have received. And I love to read the revolutionary days, you know. And we have some funny thoughts about war and battle today, and it fills a lot of universities. Like, can't we all just hug, you know? If we just beat our weapons into shall, uh, plowshares, you know? The weapons are the problem. Get rid of them. What gross naivety. It's a strange way of looking at the world. It's the wrong view of man's heart. All of that thing, you know? And I love the Revolutionary War where the, the, uh, the great pastors would preach to their people. And then he would grab his rifle and go out with the militia of the men that are right there and fight for freedom. I love that. They weren't some sort of mamby pamby, oh, where's my rifle? <laughs> Anyway, that was extra. didn't plan on saying that. But uh, anyway, don't forget, freedom is not free. It's not an entitlement. I deserve it. That's why we're going to lose it. Most Americans think they deserve everything. And it's going to be lost unless there's a change. The word memorial, according to Daniel Webster, means, and I have on your sheet, serving to help people remember. It is anything that helps people remember a person or event, as like a monument or a holiday. Most of you have been, if not all of you, down to the Washington, D.C., the, uh, the plaza down there, the, 
uh, all the memorials, Lincoln Memorial, what a beautiful thing that is. It reminds us of this humble servant that God used to keep the union together. I mean, it almost splintered. It was a state's right issue. It's still the issue that boils, uh, you know, to the states or the federal government and the power grab that goes on in D.C. I don't, I read the Constitution and I wonder why the federal government is grabbing all these things that are outside their domain. And most people don't even raise a question. You read the Constitution, it says the federal government is, 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 is to do this, 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 and this, and that's it. Everything else is left to the states. The federal government's not to educate. That's left to the state and local level. Federal government's good at some things. They get a lot of bad press, but they are. They're good at, at war, right? Mobilizing, killing things, and destroying. They're very good at that, and I'm glad they are. We need that. They're standing watch, and they send the juggernaut in and crush if they have to. They're good at that. They print money. Oh, they're good at that. They just keep, keep them running, keep the press going. You know, they're good at that, right? Uh, they're, they're so so, not so hot on the mail. What else do they do? Any, any other ideas? What? Spending. But that's not in the Constitution, Bruce. <laughs> that's right. It's a state's right issue. You go down there, you see Lincoln, and you're reminded of that, and it's carved in. You see the Washington Memorial, it reminds us. Why? Our tendency is to forget. To forget. And it reminds us. It serves to remind us of our heritage, political heritage. Wow. Well, God has given us an amazing brain. You, you may not think that. Say, <clears throat> yours may be amazing, but mine isn't. It's, it's, the brain is an amazing thing. It really is. Now, here's the thing. It's like a muscle. You've got to use it. Got to use it. Some of the oldest, uh, older folks are, that keep their brain sharp, I've seen it through the years. You know what they do? They practice crossword puzzles. Sitting there in their day doing their crossword. Keep their mind sharp. You got to use it. Got to exercise it. Some of you haven't exercised it very much, you know? It's a great thing, and it does all kinds of things. I mean, it's, isn't it amazing how you go to sleep and you're sort of in this death-like thing? You're out sleeping, dreaming of daisies or something. Right? And the brain keeps your body running. It's kind of, isn't that neat? It's just kind of idols there. And, you know, if someone's knocking on the door, breaking in, and you didn't invite them, you know, the adrenaline kicks in, brings it, get up, going down there. It's, it's amazing. And it keeps the body running, and you're, you're not like, okay, heart beat. No, the brain, God made us that way. Well, another part of the brain that's fascinating is, is the memory. You never forget anything that ever happened to you. I said that to you before. Most it's it's a retrieval problem, you know. It's there. You just can't get the right file open. But they can stimulate through artificial means certain parts of your brain, and you'll recall all kinds of things. Uh, probably some things you wish you never recalled, uh, but uh, you you would recall that the brain, the ability to remember. It marks us very different from uh, everything else. It's part of being made in God's image. You know, we had cats growing up. We had loads of cats. I had a little cat named Sam, uh, uh, a beautiful little thing. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, at Christmas was big at our home, but we, and we'd get a uh, little uh, whatever, catnip or whatever that, I can't remember anymore, that little stuff. 
But, you know, Christmas came around. My cat next year wasn't saying, well, I hope I get what I got last year. Sam could care less, you know. He just, he was just of the moment, you know. What am I eating next? Where's that tuna? I like fish. You know, that kind of stuff, right? God has made us with far more than that, just rather than be just the moment. I'm just existential. Here I am. No. God has done all kinds of things in our hearts and lives and the heritage, and he wants us to remember, to look back in the files of our memory, press between the pages of your mind and mine, and remember what God has done. And God is pleased when we do that. Well, as Christians, we are called to remember a number of things. The fact that we are told to remember tells us what? Our tendency is to forget. It is. I love that. I love that about myself, that I don't remember. It's not more at the top of my memory, right there. But I have to be prodded along and encouraged and told, don't forget, don't forget. These things ought not to be that way, but they are in life as we know it. Well, four sacred things we as Christians should always remember as you and I race through life. And isn't it a race? talked to Jonathan yesterday. He said, Dad, I can't believe the last two weeks I just blinked. There they go. I didn't say it because I say it to him all the time. Well, that is life. Get ready. The wheels on a bus go round and round, and they seem to go round and round faster and faster. And pretty soon, game over. Put the pieces away. It's done. It goes fast, doesn't it? Well, four things, four sacred things. Not only our country and remember the glory of that and give God thanks for that, the men and women that gave their life. But four sacred things that we as Christians should always remember as we race through life. And I would urge you to do whatever you need to do to remind yourself of that. Do whatever you need to do. I have to write things down all the time. They're my brains. I like writing it down. I have it when I study in the morning. I have a piece of paper near me. I write things down. Then I don't have to try and keep it in my memory because I lose. I've lost more than I've ever learned. No, that can't be. I lost more than I ever remember. <laughs> I love Faithy. Uh, when I dated her, she, uh, I'd say, well, let's do this or that. She'd say, ah! She'd take her pen and write a, put a dot on her hand. And I'd go, what's that? Well, I look at that and I remember it was, I never saw anybody do that. Well, I ended up marrying her. But uh, she remembered. I'm saying, do whatever you need to do to remind yourself of at least these four sacred things. All right, the first one. And these are not earth-shaking, but a lot of my uh, life and ministry is to remind you of the things that you already know. And if ever I say, this is brand new, you've never heard that before, you better question me. All right, first thing, remember the Lord Jesus Christ. He's everything. He is our everything. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I ask you to turn there, verses 23 to 26. This is often cited at uh, the Lord's Supper. But the Lord, uh, and, and he, uh, Paul writes of this in referring to at least Luke's Gospel, 22:19. When he reminds us here, look, look at this. For I received from the Lord, Paul writes, what I also gave to you, the church at Corinth, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. 
And when he had uh, given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, symbolically, which is for you. Here it is. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is new covenant, my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, who's sitting around the table? These are, these are the 11. Judas has already left. And uh, it's like, like, Lord, we're going to forget you? You know, like, you know, we've been with you three years here now. You, you've saved us, and our lives are forever changed. We're the disciples. We'll soon be the apostles. Like, we could forget you, Lord? Well, I remind you, the Lord doesn't waste words. He doesn't. And he knew the tendency of our heart is to forget and not to be sharp and focused on, on things sacred and holy, and in this case, uh, on him. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said it twice, remember me. Well, what should we remember about him? This immediate context is going to refer to his death. We'll talk about that. But when we think about the Lord and remember him, that he is our everything, we should, we should A, we should remember that Jesus coming to earth was the greatest demonstration of God the Father's love for us. God put on full exhibition, on full display, his love. And one of the great things about true Christianity is is that it is, a, it is a, a religion of love. It is a faith of love. If you study anything about the pagan, godless, other religions that are really the worship of demons, according to the text, they know nothing about love. It's fear. It holds people in fear and in bondage and it's manipulative. But Christianity, biblical Christianity, is, is all about love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God gave his Son. It's the greatest demonstration of that. That's what Romans 5.8 says. That uh, God uh, commended his love towards us or he displayed his love for us. Now it's amazing that God could love people like us. It's not because we're lovely, believe me. But he set his love upon us for his glory and his purpose. We ought to remember that when we think of Jesus. He's the greatest, greatest demonstration of God's love for you and for me. He put it on display for us. You are greatly loved. Maybe that you have no one else in this world. You wonder, does anyone really love me? And they should. And they, but if not, and at times we wonder, know that you are supremely loved in Christ. Supremely. That God the Father loves you. And if you're part of the elect, the remnant, God has set his grace upon you. Wow. Wow. It's the demonstration of God's love. He gave his son. At Memorial Day, we think of that, don't we? We think of those who died. And my father is very fond of talking about in our city, in the city of North Tonawanda, that during World War II, was, it was a common practice, not only in the city, but around the U.S., that when the terrible news came home that a son had died, 
that uh, a gold star would, uh, would be hung in the window of that house. That, that mom and that dad, if that were the search, they gave their son, maybe at Normandy, maybe in the South Pacific, they gave their son in death. And, and there were some families that there were sometimes two stars, and there were some that even had three stars that they had given that incredible treasure of their boys for the red, white, and blue. Well, in a far greater way, but just like that, the demonstration of the giving of God's love for us was the giving of his own son. Well, B, we should also remember the life and ministry and suffering and death of the Lord Jesus Christ. In a few weeks, we're going to start a series on the life of Christ. Uh, God has really impressed my heart and give me a real desire to want to teach uh, the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ as we're going to work our way through the Gospels. Something particularly blessed about preaching the, such things as... As the Lord Jesus Christ primarily, and not in a sort of secondary sense. should never be that way anyway. But we ought to remember his life. His was a sinless life. He was the only one who ever lived that never deserved death. The second Adam, the seed of the woman, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the, uh, the amazing one. And we ought to remember he suffered for us. Remember, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember, he suffered for us. He suffered physically. I can't imagine the brutality of his death and the scourging and, and all that Satan poured out upon him through the viciousness of the crowd and of the Roman soldiers. The utter physical extent. He was beat beyond mar. He was beyond recognition, Isaiah 53 tells us. They pulled his beard out. They beat him silly. They put a crown of thorns on his head. Long thorns that produced blood when they squeezed it in. If that weren't enough, they whipped him with uh, cords that had uh, glass and nails and everything else in it to tear the flesh away. And you read the history of Rome, many didn't even survive the whipping, the scourging. They bled to death. It was horrible. If that weren't enough, he carried the crossbeam as far as he could, uh, humanly speaking, and then was nailed with the nails to the cross, hung there between heaven and earth. He, he suffered physically for you and for me. It was a grand demonstration of God's love for you, of Christ's love for you and for me. Never forget that. Never let it become old hat. Oh, I've heard that so many times. You need to get on your knees and say, Lord, really drive this in a fresh way, new into my heart. And I may never quite get over it. He suffered spiritually. The greatest suffering. He was separated from the Father, made legal sin. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Echoes that. The only time in all the scriptures where Jesus ever asked why. It wasn't a why seeking information. It was a why of, of torment to be separated spiritually death from his father. Never, ever, ever had occurred. And emotionally, he suffered on the cross. Well, he was the great shepherd. He was willing to die as our substitute. He took our place in Isaiah 53, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity 
of us all. He was our substitute. You know, there are many pulpits today that reject the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. Now, that's pagan, that's primitive, that's outdated, we're smarter now. We don't believe that. That's brutal, that's awful. That's, how, can you, how can you preach that? It is the very crown center of the jewel of the gospel. You remove that, you remove the gospel. You remove, you've lost everything. He died. What do you think all the, the reason the animal sacrifices were all those years? It was a temporary covering looking forward to the coming Lamb of God who would die as your sin substitute in mine. You have to throw your Bible out in total if you throw the substitutionary atonement. On him our the Lord laid our iniquity. By his stripes we are healed. You cannot escape that. Let God be true and every man a liar. I'll never change on that. Ever, ever, ever. And nor should you. Well, see, we should never forget the horribleness of our sin. When we think of the Lord Jesus, his death for us, never forget the horribleness of your sin that required such a sacrifice. Never. We delude ourselves thinking, oh, we're pretty good. Ah, we're pretty good. Given the right circumstances, you and I could be absolutely ugly from the heart outward, apart from the grace of God and the restraint of God and the new disposition. We're not nice people that are good. Yeah, it's bombarded at us all the time. Yeah, people are good. The humanistic manifesto. I saw it signed at Antioch College, the document. You know, uh, Antioch College today is out of business. They closed it up. Man is good is one of the tenets. He's born good. He's innately good. They never had children. And they didn't talk to my parents. <laughs> We're not. We're born sinners. Now, we have moral emotions. Man can be good. But he's not good all the time. We can do the great thing. Hitler could be very kind. But he did some horrible things. Well, thank God we're not, we, don't, we haven't displayed the evil that he did, but that evil potential and the evil things we do is within us as well. It is. Consider the horribleness of our sin that demanded such a sacrifice. We are rebellious sinners deserving of God's judgment. Well, remember Jesus. Remember, remember, remember. He's everything. He's our everything. He is the King of kings. He's not uh, humble and feeble and weak and meek, and now he's the, the, the almighty God, exalted, seated, sitting on the throne of heaven at the right hand of God. When he comes, he's almighty God. He's the king. That's who we worship and serve. He's everything. Listen, I've had the privilege many times, a number of times, to be at, this bed, uh, be, to be at uh, the side of the beds as loved ones who knew the Lord were ebbing and life was fading and they were soon dying and then they died. And I'm here to tell you that, uh, that some of the last words in, in a number of times, the last words that were ever spoken by such ones were the name the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, help me, Lord Jesus, Lord, 
He's everything. He is. No one was clamoring that I ever heard, oh, I wish I could have worked more. I wish I could go to the beach. I wish I could do this. I wish I had more money. I wish I had... No. Because when it's all said and done, he's everything. It's all about him. We're his. You're ambassadors for Christ. For me to live is Christ. It's all about Christ. It's not about us. He's sovereign. And he will do what he will do. Never forget that. He's our everything. Second of the four sacred things that I want you to never forget. Do whatever you need to do to remind yourself. Remember Jesus. Second, remember the Word of God. It's our foundation. You know the verses as well as I do. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. Paul again writes and, and reminds us that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I'm saying to you, remember the Word of God. Remember it. It's our foundation. It's the, it's the thing that will establish the house of your life, that will cause it to endure. I mean, there are storms that will rage in your life that will blow your doors off and rip the roof off your life if you're not founded on the Word of God. It will happen. Life happens in a fallen world. Sometimes it's the boneheaded, stupid stuff we do, and we still uh, live through, like waves, the consequences of, uh, of our decisions. And we do that. What a man sows, he reaps. You put a, a kernel into the ground, there's going to be a, a product that comes from that. It's a spiritual law just like gravity, the law of lift, the law of electromagnetism, whatever. Okay? And stuff happens. And sometimes it just happens. Other people do things, and it hurts us and harms us. And, and other stuff happens that we have no control over. Bad report from the doctor or some message from far away, and we go like, oh, no, oh, I never saw it coming. I'm saying to you, it's the Word of God. It's the written Word that will be your foundation and mine. It is the very breath of God. Look, in our passage, hey, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16, it's the very breath of God. All Scripture is the breath of God. It's no wonder, then, that it's profitable. God doesn't do anything that's not profitable. God never wastes the Word. It's profitable. It's useful. What's it useful? For teaching. Well, it teaches us. We need to be taught. It's one of the great professions in life, is, and it bears a likeness to God is and we saw it in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's teaching. God is the great teacher. And his word teaches us what? Teaches us what life's all about. Who are we? The big issues of life. Who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? What's it all about? Not Elfie, but what's it about? Right? The big issues. If you know Christ and you know his word, you're one of the few that have that wonderful sense, isn't it? I talked to a man this week about his need of Christ. I befriended him, and he told me blatantly, oh, I'm an atheist. You know, 
And uh, so we had a chance to talk about that a little bit. And I'm planning to talk to him a whole lot more about it. I've been praying about his soul for a long time. And he said, well, you know, uh, know, because I was saying, well, you have no foundation for anything. Nothing. Yeah, I know he loves his wife and his son and these things, so I, I hate to tell him, but there's no foundation. Nothing. And then he said, well, you know, I am pretty good. So if, and just in case kind of thing. And I said, that won't help you out at all. There's no foundation, you see. It's just floating around, hope against hope. Told me about uh, his grandfather was executed for murder and his, his, uh, his uh, sister died when she was three with pneumonia. And You know, it, there's a lot there when you just listen and you just... But there's no foundation. His perspective of life is all off. And he's getting older. He used to be a hippie. He was there in San Francisco in those flower child days. No foundation. I'm telling you, the, God, the Word of God teaches us. It rebukes us. What's that mean? Epitomeo means it honors us. It means to heap honor upon. Well, what, what's that mean? It honors us enough as individuals to say, what you're doing is not right. God honors us that way. What are you doing? He calls us up short. It does. You read the word and go, like, oh, man, I'm way off. It honors us. And, but more than that, it doesn't leave us there. It corrects us. So it's not that way, but this way. This is the way you ought to live. Move in heavier being. It's the word of God. And it trains us in righteousness. How to live in a way that is Christ-like and godly and pleasing to the Lord. It's the word of God. It's the Word of God. We ought to so take it into our life every single day. I love that about Howard Easter. They said when he died, Howard had so inculcated the Word into his life, if he went up and gave him a bear hug, Bible verses would float out of him. Isn't that true? I mean, that, what a great example for us. There's nothing else, really. Jesus ended his great Sermon on the Mount by telling that it's the wise man or woman who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Where his house stood. Remember that? We teach our kids that. The rains came down and the floods came up. Barbara, you're teaching the kids that. And they do. Rains come down, don't they? And the floods come up. Stuff happens. If you don't build your house on the rock, that's hearing the word in obeying it. That's the rock. Your house will never endure. Never. It will never endure, I promise you. When the storms hit, and I promise you they will hit. They will. Therefore, hear and read and memorize and obey God's wonderful word. Never forget. Remember the word. It's our foundation. Never forget it. Strive to be a Psalm 1, man or woman. Blessed is the man, right, who, who's separated. He doesn't stand, sit, and, and uh, what, with those that are wicked and evil. It's a matter of influence, but rather his, what, he delights in the Word of God. He meditates in a day and night. Rather than being overwhelmingly influenced by the world, he's in the world, but he's not of the world. He allows the greater influence to be the Scriptures. It forms the way he thinks. 
He feeds upon it. He reads. He listens to it. He realizes there are competing messages that will take his attention, lead him astray. A call. You know, you don't have to be a parent very long. It's uh, part of the fun in the early years when they're little, and boy, you're like king of kings. Uh, don't do that. Move over here. Get over here. You know, and they, they respond, right? And they get a little older, and you find out there are other voices that are kind of like calling them. So they sort of hear you, but you don't have the same clout that you did when they were, mm, you know what I mean? And pretty soon they, they come of age, and you're looking at them eyeball to eyeball, and, uh, you know, you say things, and it's like, yeah, thanks a lot, Dad. Thanks for that. <laughs> right? You don't have the same. There are other voices that, that influence them. And in the world, it's that way. There are a lot of voices that will vie for God, and Satan will use all that to get you and I off track. If you allow him. First things first. Simple principle. You ought to do that. Every single day, first things first, do the priorities. And then if you don't have time for the others, so what? You did the first things first. It's reading your Bible and meeting with God every day is the first thing you need to do. So what do you need to do? You need to hear, be faithful in attending worship. It's not optional. Some people treat gathering together with God's people as optional. We're not ordering pizza here with pepperoni or anchovies. It's not optional. God commands us, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Gather together when the body joins together. Gather to, uh, to worship, to hear God's word. You need it. Listen to Christian radio. I say that a lot. Not too many of you, I don't think, do. I like to listen to the oldies. They're kind of fun to listen to. I listen to them. But I have my button set on Christian radio, and I love to hear different speakers during the week. Listen to them. Some of them are fantastic, and they encourage me during the week. It's amazing. I don't think Sunday morning's enough. You and I need a shot probably every day, probably because we're getting shot or shot at, so it's probably good. How about CDs, sermon downloads throughout the week? There's all kinds of things on the blogs now and everything, and Jay's got us all set up. You need that kind of thing. Hear the Word of God. Second, read. Be faithful. Discipline, read God's Word every day. You need this more than food. More than food. It is food. It's heavenly man. A man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word. Memorize it. Memorize it. Discipline yourself. You can do it. Say, you don't know, I can't do it. Come on. Come on. I, I always remember the, uh, the, the children's home there in Valparaiso. Uh, the uh, the little the, the, it's the Baptist Children's Home. Uh, we as a as a kid uh, growing up in our church in in Buffalo area, we we would always support the home with our monies, part of our missions budget. And every now and then, uh, Don would come in and he'd bring some of these children who were uh, uh, had the severe uh, disabilities, uh, physical and mental and so on. <clears throat> And uh, he loved to have him come up and recite uh, by memory, uh, like Ephesians 1. And here are these 13-year-old children who couldn't even go to normal school, would cite, you know, Ephesians 1. How about Romans 8? And just the, the conviction of sin, rightfully so, 
fell upon the hearts of people and rebuked us, and we needed it like a two-by-four in the head. If these children can learn the word and hide in the heart, so can every one of us. There's no excuse. Memorize it. Hide it in your heart. You'll need it to recall uh, at, at points in life and points during the day. Oh, do that. God will bless you. He promises. Don't be lazy in this. Come on. Get up. Go do it. All right? And for obedience, of course. By God's grace, strive to do everything in it. Live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. It's amazing to think that anything we would do would please the Lord. It does tickle me to think about it. Because he knows everything about me and you. And to think, boy, this pleases the Lord. Well, I better do that then because, wow, I've done so many things contrary. It's our foundation. Listen, if you do this, you'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. Remember the Word of God. It's our foundation. You'll never regret it. But you will if you don't do it. You will have regrets. In, in living life, I don't know what strategy you have on that, but here's one of mine. Well, I'll have regrets, but I want to keep them to a minimal. I do. This is one way to avoid serious regrets. The foundation of our word. Wow. We were there in Chicago the, uh, this last week, and just amazing. The, uh, Trump uh, moved uh, to town some time ago and bought the old uh, Chicago uh, Sun, the Times uh, building. sits right on the Chicago River. Beautiful location. He bought that to rip it down. He did. He ripped that down, and uh, he wanted the property to build this enormous building. I think it's the second highest now in the city of Chicago. And it rises up beautiful. It's condominiums and everything else goes way up to a tower on top, modern-looking thing. You'd like to see a Dave being an architect. But uh, I, I was looking at that last week, and I thought, man, that foundation next to the river, it's got to go way, way down because the wind's there. And I think, I don't know, do they design those, those buildings must move a little bit, right, Dave? So when you're in the top, it's actually the wind is kind of like, wow, there's a thought, huh? Build upon the foundation that is... I'm glad somebody passed math and knew how to do that. How much more the foundation of God's word when the winds blow in our lives. The floods rise and the rains come. Wow. Well, don't forget the Lord Jesus. He's our everything. Remember the word of God. That's our foundation. Third sacred thing I want to re remind you to remember. Remember God's blessings in your life. That, this is your story. This is your story. Don't forget this. It's your story. It's amazing how these politicians will retire from office and they get these multi-million dollar contracts from the publishing houses to tell their story. George Bush, tell us your story. Or on and on. You see that. It's rather amazing, right? You just have to be elected to office and go out and you're... You're wealthy, I guess, huh? Well, I don't know about all that, but the, each one of you have a story, and it's unique. It's different. If you know Christ, he saved you in different ways at different times. All through Christ, but different avenues, the gospel came to you. Maybe some of you responded right away, and maybe some of you didn't. 
Maybe you're like Paul. Saul, Saul, why do you kick against the pricks? You were raised in a Christian home, but you rebelled and went far away, and then God finally brought you in. Maybe some of you early on heard the gospel, and God has given you a tender heart for the things of Christ all these years. Not that you've been without sin. But we all have a different story. Remember God's blessing in your life. That's your story. Hey, remember the day you were saved. I love it when people show me their Bible and they write in the inside cover of their Bible the day that they, they, they profess faith in Christ and were wonderfully delivered from their sin. A wonderful thing. I don't remember the exact day. You don't have to remember the exact day. I'm glad to tell you that. Don't get nervous. Don't. But I will tell you this. There has to be a day. There has to be a day. When we were driving home from uh, Chicago, uh, Faith is sort of in and out of sleep there because we drove kind of all night to get back Sunday night. And uh, there was a point where we crossed the border into Pennsylvania, and she was sleeping, and then finally we stopped to get gas, and she, you, you woke up and said, are we in Pennsylvania? Yes, we, we did. We crossed the border a little bit ago to get... She made it over. You see, we made it over the border. You've got to cross the border. There has to be a day when you cross the border of lostness into life. Remember that day. Marvel at how God brought you to hear the gospel and under the conviction of sin and that you were lost, deserving of hell. Remember the one who God used to share the message. You know, I often do that. I think back on all my, my uh, early pastors, Sunday school teachers, uh, my mom and dad, my, my, my greatest teachers, probably. Uh, then my college professors. And, some, and I named them. I named many of them. Pastors I've had through the years, and I bless God for them. And so many, I marvel, because so many of them at this point in my life are in heaven. Pastor Griffin, who faithfully preached the gospel when I was but a seven-year-old boy. Uh, old so, silver-haired man, thin, little Born, from, born in Michigan, pastoring in New York, preached the gospel. He was a hanky waver in that day. The hankies were out going, his blue, beautiful blue suit, immaculate. Preached the gospel, and God opened my heart. My mother had talked to me, a Sunday school teacher had talked to me as a young boy, and my heart was fertile, and God opened my heart. And I often thank the Lord for Leo Griffin. It was a joy for Faith and I to, to visit him down where your mom is, Stephen, down at Sebring, Maranatha Village. And uh, he is married to, a, he at that point was married to a, a woman who had been a widow. And to just express my love and appreciation for him down there at the Maranatha Village for his faithfulness in preaching. He's now in heaven. And uh, often consider the ministry, my ministry, a continuation of what God did through him. That's the way it works, you know. And I, I thank God for that. I think of the series of pastors and professors. Lord, thank you for the trust that you've given. And these, these men that were faithful. We could easily have been way over there in other types of traditions or in other countries where you don't even hear the gospel. Thank you, Lord. Remember that. I'm saying that. Remember that. I remember my early Sunday school teachers. I remember them by name, Ms. Dorothy Peters. She had polio as a girl and, and never walked quite right in those days, you know. But she loved the kids and loved the gospel and 
made us memorize. That's where I first learned, yay hi, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Let's say it again. Let's say it again. <laughs> Bless God for such ones. And Guy, and I'll never forget Julius Creason. He was fabulous. Raised in Roman Catholic Church, he was he was not a believer. He was hard-hearted. He was he was really a cuss of a man. And he was out fishing, ice fishing in the Niagara River. And God had it that he fell through the ice. He had heard the gospel. He was he went. He would go to church. He was a twofer, you know. He went twice a year. And he's hanging onto the ice in the Niagara River. Now, some, most of you don't know, that's very difficult to do. The current's seven miles an hour. You're hanging on, your toes are downstream, up, touching the ice too. And he was screaming and yelling. And somebody far away heard him. Imagine that. Heard him. And drove about two miles, saw him, and rescued him. And that day, before the day was out, he cried out to Christ to save him. And God wonderfully saved that. Julius Creason. He's in heaven today. But he taught, you know what he did? He taught junior high boys. And every single week, he told us a story again. And our eyeballs were like, you know, junior high boys are like, Mr. Creason, tell us that story again, how God saved you. <laughs> and, you know, my father used to do his accounting. And I always loved him for this because... Well, my father's quite a strong man, and a lot of people would cower to him. But Julius would eyeball to eyeball, point his finger in my father's face and tell him, there is a hell that you're headed to, and Eddie, you better be saved. I loved him for that. He's just a regular guy, you know, that got saved. And I thank the Lord for him. He's just one of many that built in my life. And we ought to look back and remember that. That's part of my story. And each one of you have a story that way. We ought to remember God's many kindnesses to, to you and to me. Remember how he carried you through the many needs and worries and concerns for you, your loved ones, your children, your grandchildren. God has carried you through things that you've endured in the yesterdays of your life. The many answers to prayer. Don't forget. God does so many wonderful things, and we tend to forget. I don't know if we get amnesia of the head or the heart. And we just, we, I, know, I know we have to live here and now. We can't be absent-minded now, but look in the rearview mirror of life and remember do whatever you have to to remember. It's your story. It's your life. Remember Christ. He's everything. Remember the foundation, the Word, but remember what He's done in your life. God is a God who answers prayers. The effectual, fervent prayers of righteous men avails much. I told some of you that uh, when we went out to San Diego to help Sarah and Greg with that medical conference, Greg, uh, Greg has started a, a little corporation that does these medical conferences. He does them around the country. It's Expedition Medicine. He brings in these top-flight physicians and other people to lecture. They're really amazing people. They come in and, and so on. And it's really been growing now, the last year and a half. And so I went out. We went out to help, and Faithy helped, and helped with the grandbabies, and we had so much fun. When we were out there, we, Greg saw in the weeks leading up to the conference there at the uh, Del Coronado Hotel, the hotel that he had contracted with. He had to contract with them, you know, like eight months ahead of time. 
how many rooms, how much food, and so on. And it's thousands and thousands of dollars. And you base it on what you're guessing the enrollees will be in the conference. Well, lo and behold, the last quarter hit and the country went into a recession. And uh, it's affected the, the attendees. And it's not a problem uh, just with uh, Greg's company, but it's been everywhere, everywhere. And the people that he uses to do all his contracts with and datings and all that, work with the hotels and everything, they said this is everywhere. And the hotels are working with uh, different corporations that come in because they, they realize that, uh, okay, so they'll adjust the contract because they want you to come back, repeat business is a business, you know. Except the hotel uh, there in, in San Diego was inflexible with Greg. And the enrollees, they could tell that uh, the numbers were not coming in like they had, they had hoped for. And they were saying, uh, rent some of the rooms out. Let them go, let them go, let them go. And when, and when he was on the phone days before to the uh, people of the hotel, <clears throat> they said, oh, don't worry, we'll have a sit-down meeting before it starts. So Sarah and Greg flew in, had the meeting, Faith and I finally got out there, and uh, we went to the room that the day before the conference started, and boy, was Greg deflated. He had had a, almost a knockdown, drag-out fight with the hotel management, and they were not going to change anything. Not a thing. And even the, his, his liaison's woman who does all the bookings and does it all across America at great places, he was going to hold their feet to the fire, and, and which, really, which, which really meant then that, uh, that uh, the conference would go on, the speakers would come in, they would be paid, uh, and, and so on. And, and uh, when it was all said and done, and the conference was a great conference. Uh, those that uh, attended, it was, it was great. It was, it was really great. They didn't know anything of the management, any, any of that, the contractual stuff that goes on behind the scene. And, you know, it's not for them to know. But when our kids, we waved goodbye to them, and they headed back home, well, Faith and I stayed an extra day or two, they were $70,000 in the hole. A little corporation trying to get off and running, the hotel was completely inflexible, and uh, they had tears in their eyes. Lord, we thought you were going to do something. And so did I, Faith and I. We prayed and prayed and said, Lord, I'm so disappointed. I thought you were going to allow them to be flexible. What? Well, we're the hotel, Dell, and we don't need to do anything, and this kind of this arrogancy. I w I, I, we were not resolved at this point that they should you know, put $35,000 on one credit card and 35000 on another, and that's what they were doing. I just, we just kept praying, Lord, you've got to do something here. This cannot be. This is going to bankrupt this little LLC they started. And within two weeks, uh, I got a call from Sarah, and she said, you never believe what happened. And I said, tell me. She said, God is so good to us. Greg uh, was able to track down the owner of the Dell. That's that in itself, because the major corporations own a lot of these, it's hard to do. But he found the guy, the guy was in Chicago. He called, and lo and behold, uh, 
he, he was able to speak to him. And he told him the story of how totally dissatisfied he was in, in the management team there, blah, blah, blah. And the man was very interested to hear all that. And that he had hoped to have continual uh, conferences out there and so on and so forth. And, and that he's uh, financially now way in the hole in the hotel with blah, 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 uh, inflexible. And the man said, he was really upset and said, let me make a few phone calls. And so he made some calls, and then he called Greg back, and he said, I've taken care of everything. He said, if you will commit to have a conference in the next two years, forget about that. We'll just credit you ahead on that, and we'll work it out. I said, what? I'm telling you, that is part of their story and part of our story because you suffer when your kids suffer, right? And God is so good, and he's so amazing. Well, lo and behold, they called him back from the hotel, and they're like, how do you know this guy? We'll do anything we can. What do you need? <laughs> it was, they don't know if Greg went to the university with this guy, and they were roommates, or like, you, how did he even... They were like rolling out the carpeting now, and uh, so praise the Lord. I mean, God is a God of, of prayer. He's a God that, it's part of their story, it's part of our story, and now I share it, that you would be encouraged. Each of us have a story. God is so good. He is so good. Don't forget. Look at, remember God's many kindnesses to you. See, God directed Joshua to, Remember that? To construct two monuments, a memorial, to remember God's care for the Israelites in Joshua 4. Remember that? When they crossed the Jordan River, have 12 men take 12 stones out. There was a memorial put in the river so they could always see it, that they crossed on dry ground, and they carried it that first night to Gilgal. They set it up. That's a testimony. So when your son says, Dad, what does that mean? You'll say, the Lord dried that Jordan River, and we look back and we remember the goodness of God. God is pleased when we do that. God is pleased when we remember his many kindnesses to us. And how about David in, in D? David drew strength for today's trouble. How about that giant of a problem, Goliath? Remembering how God delivered him in the past. Uh, Jen put that up on, on the board. Look at 1 Samuel 17. But David said to Saul, Saul's trying to dissuade him. You're just a boy. You can't go out and fight this giant. Your servant has been, David said, your servant, me, David, I've been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came along, carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it and struck it and rescued the sheep from his mouth and when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine, that's Goliath, he'll be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And so King Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. David drew strength because he didn't forget what God had done in yesteryears. And God wants us to draw strength from that. Remember, it's your story. Remember, don't be dead in the head. Do whatever you have to do. Remember, remember the danger of refusing to remember God's goodness 
to us is that we'll wander into sin. We will. The whole book of Judges, the book of defeat teaches us. Remember, do whatever you have to. Put a mark on your hand like faith. Keep a journal, a diary. Put something up, a momentum. I have all kinds of things. We have things all around our house that help us remember. Faith uh, picked out one day a beautiful scene of Noah building the ark. It's, uh, it's a reminder to us. I look at that and I remember it. I have a rock in my study from the land of Israel down in the plain where we think Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a reminder of God's judgment. Uh, it's a reminder of that. I have pictures around the house. I have journals. I have plaques you know, of little biblical sayings faith has put on. Do whatever you have to. Remember, I have a Bible that's marked up. I have multiple Bibles that way. If the Lord tarries and I should go to heaven, it will be a treasure for my children to look at that and see what Dad said about this or that, and little comments I write in here and there. You know, what a treasure that is. Remember, remember, remember. Why? Our tendency is to forget. We're thinking about, well, what am I going to eat next? What am I doing the next hour? Get your eyes up and glance back. And the last thing before we close, the fourth sacred thing to remember. Remember, this is not home. This isn't home. Home is heaven. That's our destiny. It's a place where if you know Christ, your name is hanging outside the doorway of a place. That's, that's home. That's heaven. Live like a traveler, a vagabond, if you will, who's moving on to a far better place. Live that way. Today we're living in vanity fear. We studied that a few years ago with the men in Pilgrim's Progress. Christian and faithful went into vanity fear. It was, uh, it was emblematic of the world and all the cheap and uh, things and the facade that the world has to offer. I heard that last week at the commencement address at Moody. I was reminded of some of the words of that. Uh, because when Christian and faithful were in Vanity Fair, they didn't buy any of the wares there. Not meaning material things, but the ideas and things. And they were approached and said, why don't you ever buy anything here while you're in Vanity Fair? And Christian said, we only by the truth. I thought, oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. We live in Vanity Fair. This is the world and the world system. We only buy the truth. Live like a traveler that's moving on. A, refuse to be entangled with life here and now as if it's the only life that will ever be. That's what people do. They get so entangled in He who finishes with the most toys wins, but then the added is what? He too dies. Naked we come, naked we go. I have to remind you of that. Our tendency is to be like the ant. You ever see how much a little ant can carry on his back? I used to have a microscope and I, or a magnifying glass, and you burn them up, you know, in the sun. Those are the great days of July when school's out for summer, Right? Come on, no one ever did that? How many of you did that? All right, there you go. All right, I thought so. They were all men, all men that raised their hand. <laughs> right? You ever see how much an ant could carry? 
Well, we're like that. Don't go light. Beware of the world's comforts. The world's wealth is passing away. It's not real wealth. It's monopoly money. It is. Oh, my. Amusements. Oh, be careful. You know, amusement, I'll remind you again, amusement, amuse means to think. A means negate. It's the realm of not thinking. Don't love that stuff. 1 John 2. We're called to live like foreigners and strangers in the world. Peter speaks so eloquently on that. We're not home. We're not home. Our military men and women in faraway places yearn to be home. You know, you realize what a wonderful place home is when you're away. I have, I have been away and couldn't wait to be home. No great words of uh, at Christmas time that we hear in the care. I'll be home for Christmas, you know. Or Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. This isn't home. I have to remind you of that because we, we get hunkered down here pretty, pretty well. And there are some delights and some beautiful things and the comforts. We're not home. We are not home. Don't ever forget that. We're like Israel in the wilderness. We're traveling through. We're not home. And someday we will be. Live like you're traveling through and not staying here forever. Remember, heaven is our destiny. Well, lessons for our life quickly, and we're done. Number one, we live in a wonderful land. Praise God for the United States. She's not perfect, but she's the best thing going. I got news for you. Honor those who died to provide it. Take a moment and thank God for them. Remember them. And the families of those that gave loved ones, that had those gold stars, thank them. Those that were wounded, you see a veteran walking on, thank them. You see them at the airport, give them thanks. Express that to them. It'll mean the world to them. Thank the Lord for that. Number two, don't just live here and now. Don't do that. Don't just live here and now. Use your brain to remember God's sweet blessings. Look back and remember. Number three, know that God is pleased when we remember. Again, it's amazing to think that God is pleased at anything we do. Well, God says, you know, I'm pleased. And you look back and you remember. And you don't forget. We know what it is humanly when we do kind things and people act like ingrates. Remember, God is pleased. Number four, do whatever you must do to help remind yourself. Do whatever. Do whatever. Be as creative. God is the author of creativity. God is a God of beauty. Do whatever you have to to stimulate yourself to remember. Don't forget. Number five and last, perhaps you are here and you're not a Christian. You've never asked the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior from the penalty of your sin. There's a heaven and there's a hell. That's it. That's it. And death seals it. You must be born again. Jesus said that. I didn't. You must put your personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent and turn from sin. 
Whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Remember, don't forget. 